There was such a beautiful, sweet spirit in this place. I feel like some of you just need a nap. You know what I mean? Have you ever felt that just like sleep away? Just rest. Because you're tucked safely in the house of God. The banks can't get you. Your landlord can't get you. Your children, we can leave them there for four hours. We'll have no volunteers after that, but... I want you to know that you are loved. Really, really loved. I want you to know that you're in a safe place. I want you to know that no matter what you are doing, what, no matter what you're facing, no matter who you are, no matter your beliefs, no matter your orientation, no matter what life has given you, your past, your present, your future, God loves you and we love you. We are all clay in the hands of the only one who can make beautiful things out of dust. None of us are perfect. We are all challenged by the Word of God. And we are all living in a world where they want to tell us that the Word of God is just a piece of paper. But I want you to know that saints since ancient time has aligned their life with great success to decree and the, the constitution. I love to call it the constitution. This is the constitution of God's kingdom. And if we live in it, it will only flourish if we abide with it. So today I want to talk to you about something that I believe let me kickstart this. Something that I believe is so common and so painful for us all. Because we're speaking about a life of good, beautiful, and kind in a world that is not that. And I think one of the biggest deterrents, just so you know, I'm an American. I've yet to make a citizen's arrest. I've been American since 2010. So when I talk about us Americans, our culture, I am an American. What I love about our country is free speech. What I hate about our country is free speech. Because free speech is such a powerful gift. But the Bible says your words can either kill or your words can bring life. If I can rewrite the Constitution, I would say there's only free speech to those who bring life and not death to their words. Because the human experience that you and I know has something in common. It is more predictable than taxes. And by the way, I hope you're going to get your taxes done. And please don't cheat on your taxes. It's not worth it. I'm just saying, I'm not working for the IRS, I'm just saying. And the thing that I believe is most predictable in our lives is conflict. But Jesus said something so interesting. He says, the mark of those who are part of my kingdom, the way that the world will know that you 
are living in my kingdom. I wish he would have picked another word. He picked dedication or fierceness or faithfulness. He picked the thing that's the hardest and that's love. He says the world will know that you are my disciples not by the way you defend faith, not by the way you defend values, not by the way you place yourself on a moral mountain, but by how you love and loving people is hard. Come on, you know that's true. Don't look at me that way then I feel guilty for a second. Okay, I'm over it. It is really hard to love people. Just look at the person next to you. Come on, just it's to tell them I'm hard to love. I really am hard to love. Because as people, we are wonderfully and made with complexity. Come on, how many of you have met really complex people? If anybody tell you complex, you should tell them, yep, I am. That, that's, I'm a masterpiece. Because things that are complex takes a lot of time. I'm, I'm just saying. Complex. And we've been talking about this very thing, that loving well is at the heart of following Jesus. Loving well is at the heart of following Jesus. And I want you to know when we follow Jesus and see how he loved, Jesus never excluded anyone from the love of God. Never. He was actually misunderstood for loving those that other people felt was not worthy of the love of God. But as I look you in the eyes, I want you to know no matter where you sit, what you've done, who you are, you are worthy of the love of God because you carry the image and the likeness of God. So I'm not the devil. If you think, and I'm not. But if I was the devil, I would focus all my energy to diminish the very evidence that those who follow Christ would carry as a testimony of people who are under the kingdom of God. I would do everything in my power to complicate and diminish love. I would do everything in my power to complicate and bring fracture to things and create a lot of personal hurt in people so that their love is diminished because if love is diminished then your light that shines in this world is diminished because the Bible says in Matthew Sermon on the Mountain in the message you are the light of the world bring out the God colors of this world God is not a secret to be kept we're not gonna hide bring it out and I think sometimes we misunderstood and understand we want to bring out so many other factors but I want you to know the thing that will most confound the world is when we love in the midst of a broken humanity but conflict is the very thing that you and I cannot matrix out of conflict is part of our human experience. Now conflict is just normal and often emotional charged disagreements regarding meaningful things. Nobody has conflict over things they don't care about. 
But conflict is something that we've got to talk about because if we do not know how to conduct ourselves in conflict, and I believe most of the time we are baited into conflict, and what we do in that bubble of conflict will either um, make our light of love brighter or it will diffuse our testimony as followers of Jesus. Listen, 1 Corinthians says, Raising the dead is not a sign that you're a disciple. Speaking the tongues of men and angels is not a sign that you're a disciple. Even if you give everything away to the poor, it doesn't make you a disciple. He says, even if you burn yourself at the stake, saying, I'm burning myself, I will not renounce Jesus, it is not a sign because the Bible says, if love is the, not the most or the biggest and the loudest thing in your life, everything else is just noise when we look at the world around us if we look at us if I look at myself love is a really tough thing so today I want to talk to you about love because as I said conflict is inevitable it's not an if it's a when and we have these conflict bubbles in different places and if you've never be, had conflict then you are not fully alive I am just saying if you've never experienced conflict so conflict is inevitable and sometimes conflict begins with me sometimes conflict begins with someone else personally I never ask for conflict but conflict always comes uninvited sometimes you leave home and there's no conflict you arrive home and you say how was your day and by the answer of good you know you're in conflict and most of the time you don't know what you did sometimes you create the conflict and you don't even know you've created the conflict can I get an amen or an ouch or something so the, the thing that I believe very deeply is how we deal with conflict is it reflects our depth of maturity in Christ I believe the deeper we love Jesus and understand his grace that he has over us the more grace we have to give others can I tell you something else that I believe part of resolving conflict is the ability to surrender that we may not see things the same way but we're gonna keep loving each other more than ever before but if you cannot surrender to Jesus why you should you surrender to any human being on the planet that's why I always wonder if people cannot submit and surrender how can they say that they love Jesus? Because the Bible says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Can I ask you to read this out loud with me? Like really, really loud. Turn to your neighbor and say, make me proud. Come on. I'm hard of hearing and I hate reading. It says this, make allowance. Let, let me see if I can get my, my pen. Ah, okay, I, I will make my pen. Uh, there you go. Make allow what does it mean to make allowance make room for it for those who play golf you know there's a word called a mulligan a mulligan means a do-over whenever you play golf with me I have a rule I have 18 mulligans 18 of them that means I'm gonna hit the ball and go like what the heck I always feel between my backswing and hitting the ball there's a Tourette's episode that happens 
something unplanned happens and and then there goes the ball and I go like Mulligan which means what just happened never happened you don't tell anybody about it because a Mulligan says I didn't see it just do it again and the Bible says you've got to make a Mulligans for each other's faults in other words expect that people are gonna disappoint you and then he says and forgive anyone who offends you remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others and I want to say to you I think at times we forget how much we have been forgiven because if you forget how much you have been forgiven and what it took for Jesus to forgive you then you don't have any capacity to forgive others so what does that mean well I'm gonna take you one step further and tell you the root of conflict as God describes it because I am like you totally convinced it's never me have you ever been in, in counseling and you sit there and you go like tell her just tell her tell her the truth so two of us can tell her she's wrong do you know what I mean we as humans are always convinced we are right and can I be honest with you in your mind you are probably right that you are right even though you're wrong that you think you are right because nobody will defend wrong if you want to defend wrong you just need a different kind of therapy and need to get double saved or something I don't know but we as human beings think that we are right but listen what scripture says is the root and this is gonna be kind of an ouch scripture right now and, and I want you to read it with me he says where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from do you think they just happen think again people they come about because you want your own way and you fight deep inside when I read that scripture I go like my way is kind of okay you could just follow my way and it's gonna be fine but really it comes to the fact that the Bible says that your heart and my heart is most deceitful unto itself that we think our way is the most logical way and we've got the highest education in the family that's why our way or the highway now when that happens the Bible warns us it always comes out to conflict because you see that word my way comes to this very interesting word called autonomy or self-governance in other words I like the way things are I deeply believe in my values I deeply believe in my perspective I deeply believe in my conviction and when those things are violated have you ever felt I know what to do and I want you all to do what I want you to do not only that but the way I want you to do that it breaks down to driving in the car and there's a GPS Siri is telling me where to go but my wife says why don't you go there you should have gone right I go like well tell Siri if she changes her mind that's where I'm going you know how often when we got married I would stop the car and say see these hands 
It's on the steering wheel. And if it's on the steering wheel, and I'm going to say, where are we going to go? If you want, then put your hands on. You know what I mean? Because it's two people want to go the same place, different ways. And then it creates conflict. You will spoil the whole date because you took the other way. We as people are so interesting. And when we talk about this being violated, it leads us to this nebulous place that we know that we are in conflict. And it's sometimes we want to ignore it. It's not happening. But you feel, you can feel, it is almost like a symphony that's playing, but some instruments are not tuned. Do you know when you have somebody, a friend, and all of a sudden, they just treat you different. You feel it. And you go like, oh, we're okay. They go like, I'm fine. No, that's not my question. I can feel it. You know the amount of time people have said, I'm good. I love you. I go like, that's not what I'm feeling right now. Clearly something is going on. Because the moment we acknowledge we're in conflict, now we've got to deal with conflict. And I want you to know that I think we are terrible at knowing what to do in conflict. And we're going to talk about that. But what we do in this nebulous space will determine how Christ is glorified and how bright, bright our light is going to shine. Oh, I would write that down. It's actually a good tattoo. Uh, it, every time you're in conflict, it's challenging how much you understand God's grace for you. And it's challenging how much you understand the brokenness of humanity. It's challenging how much you have perspective of you. It's challenging what you value the most. Because let me explain this to you. The two places it leads you. Mostly this is the easy place. We don't resolve conflict. Unforgiveness, bitterness, disunity and broken relationships comes uninvited and it's inevitable. If you look in your rearview mirror, how many relationships are behind you that you think, oh gosh, what even happened? And you know what's the worst thing? When we stop mourning what we have lost and we say, see, it's humanity. It's humanity. I'm the only decent human being on the planet. It's other people. Or we can value something else more than being right. I would love for you to write this down. Being right is very costly if that is what you value. If always want to be right is what you want to be, your light will be dim and God will not be glorified through your life. Because we are not known as disciples because we are right every time. Now the Bible says this. Oh, this is so, 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 oh, in your face arrest, arresting. If someone claims that I love God. The word hates is a very strong word, but it means to despise, to have strong feelings of agitation and diminishing. And you hate your brother or sister. Then he is a liar. Oh, I hate that. 
don't you? He says, even when you come to worship and they say, what a beautiful name it is, you raise your hands. Jesus says, if you know anybody's got something against you, stop worshiping. He didn't say, if you've got something against somebody, if other people have got something against you, stop worshiping. I value unity and love more than I value your act of worship that you bring. He says, when it comes to communion, it is celebrating the price that was paid to forgive me. He says, if you know that your brother's got something against you, don't eat of grace when you cannot give grace. He says this when you do. This is scary. That's why some of you are sick. Some of you have died early. And some of you are weak. In other words, Paul reminds us that for some of us, we are carrying the ailments of not knowing how to deal with conflict and forgiveness and giving grace. You are paying more on the doctor than what it is to simply forgive. 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 You say, but you have no idea. No, I have no idea the amount of forgiveness that God has given to me. God should give you and I a revelation of how much He has forgiven us. Because when we understand that there is nothing that any human being can do to you or me that can surpass us, the amount of forgiveness I need every day. So church, He says, because if you cannot love a brother and sister that you see, how can you claim to love a God that you cannot see? Now there is another scripture. I'm going to read this quick. He says, work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Make sure no one gets left out in God's generosity. The generosity of God is grace and forgiveness and faithfulness even when we offend Him. He says, keep a sharp eye out for the weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. Oh, he's not done yet. Then he says these words, watch out for the Esau syndrome. Remember Esau? He killed his brother because he was, no, no, Esau didn't kill his brother. That's a heresy. Esau sold his first right because he was hungry for soup. His first right was his birthright blessing. The Bible says, watch out for the Esau. Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy short-term appetite of being right again. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but it was too late. Tears or no tears. In other words, he says there's a time when you can get out of the argument and go like I told them. I stood up for myself. But actually you have lost more in that bubble than you can truly understand. Because you see, what we are seeking is not to win every battle. What we are seeking is to build a bridge that leads to love in every conflict that we ever get to. Now, this is another scripture that I so love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I want to use this word compassionate. 
Because compassionate is always tied to knowing someone's story. Church, people who hurt people have been hurt by people. People that are reactive. It comes from a place of experiencing personal pain. When you hear someone's story, it doesn't justify it. And conflict I'm talking about is not abuse. I am talking about everyday life conflict. And when you hear a story, it will give you compassion. It will not give you forgiving. Forgiving is a choice you make because you've been forgiven. But compassion softens our hearts. Because otherwise, we're going to think most people are an offspring of the Antichrist. Have you ever met them? Oh, I've met a lot of them. Every day, I go like, oh, you're so born of the Antichrist. Vote you off my island. You know what I mean? Come on, let's be real. So, let's talk about this bubble. What makes this hard for us? To come to a place of understanding, we need God, not just ourselves. Because the first thing I want you to know, we have limited perspective of ourselves. Have you ever used this phrase in an argument? And please don't look at your girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, your partner, whatever that is. Don't look at them right now. I know myself. Don't tell me who I am. I know myself. That's the most ignorant statement on the planet Earth. Because you see, there's a guy called Johari that tells us something so interesting about what this is. Jahari says this, there is a part of you that you know and other people know. That is the open self. The part that you have revealed and people know that. Then there is another part that nobody has seen, only you know. But you will not reveal it to people because if you do, they may not like you the way you want them to like you. We are not intentional to be like hidden cloak people, but there's parts of us that we just hide. We, we, it's the part of us we don't like. And then he says, but there is another part that you don't see, but other people see just fine. Have you ever went to driving school? And then they tell you, in that little side post, you can hide a school bus. Can I tell you something? There's part of you that you can never see, but it's a school bus in everybody else's eyes. That's why when you say, I will not let anybody speak into my life and tell me who I am, you are allowing a school bus to exist that you cannot see. And then when you're in arguments, you say, I'm not that. Well, if the whole church had to vote, we'll all raise our hands and say, yep, you are exactly that every time. But it takes humility and trusted relationships to invite people to say, tell me the parts of me I don't see. And then there is a part, God is so genius that the world cannot see and you cannot see, only God can see. And you know what is so amazing about his word? Every time you read it, it will visit that secret place. And either you fight God or you thank him that he's revealing what is unbeknownst to you. But all of this makes the complexity 
to resolve conflict even more difficult. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say it's going to get a little worse and then it's going to get better. The second part is this personality wiring. Everybody in this room has a personality wiring. I love that. We usually think in introverts and extroverts. Oh, I read there's 42 different personality types. But there's nobody that's so unique that there's no one else like you. It's, it's just true. There's many people like you. And God made us all unique. And when it come to, comes to that uniqueness of personality, it is our reflex wiring and how we respond to things. Now, let, let me... I've got a couple of pictures here that talks about how you respond in conflict because of how you are made. Come on, just say with me, I am wonderfully made. No, shout it out, I am wonderfully made. Because you know when you're in the car and you tell your kids, you look at your one kid and go like, just be like your brother, stop being so shy. Don't you understand it's not shyness, it's introvert. And introverts are the thinkers and the poets and the prophets. Don't tell somebody to be like someone else. Because if there's all extroverts in this room, I would not get an opportunity to preach. That's how it would be. But if there are no extroverts, there are no different personalities. But see, when we respond to conflict, who of you love conflict? You go like, dang, it's Tuesday. I'm so bored. I'm going to pick a fight. Come on now. You love conflict. The moment it starts, you go like, oh, hell yeah. I cannot wait. Oh, you are unafraid. You go like, somebody's going to die in this place. Ain't me. I've buried a lot of people. I ain't dying. You love conflict. You create conflict. You are the mother hen of conflict and you call yourself strong no god built strength in you but it's not to bully other people it's for service then there's another person <laughs> you just hang on and go like please go away 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 there's no elephant there's no elephant there's nothing's wrong nothing's wrong you just want to avoid it you just hang in there and there's another personality type. You have the gift of words. And it begins and you are just intertwining that person. And it started with cups in the dishwasher. And now they are standing there. And they go like, oh, woe me, I'm so terrible. Because you have a way to just entangle people. It is a gift. But it's not there to entrap others. Then there's others, you become super nervous, you bite your nails, you overeat, you, you, are, you, you, you can't breathe, you're close to a panic attack when you feel tension in a room. It, it, you despise that feeling of disconnection because you don't know how to handle it. Then there's another group of people, you go like, oh, you want to fight. And now you go in and you are willing to take on the dog, the canary, the kids, the mother-in-law. You are going in and you say, you wanted a fight. I will give you a fight. You never keep to the topic. Because now you're going to slam at everything. Everything's a nail and you are the hammer. 
Then there's another group. You go like, give me just seven Advils. Give me four Budweiser's. <laughs> you just want to escape it. You want to medicate. You go in the room and watch 49 seasons of Yellowstone. You don't want to deal with it. You're going to go like, I'm just going to self-medicate. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. And then there's another group. You love to control people. It's not intentional. But the only way that you can bring order to your world, because you experience feeling the pain when somebody else controls something. And your only recollection is, if I don't control it, I'm going to be in the same pain. And you control everything. You control where glasses go in the dishwasher. You control how carpets are vacuumed. They don't, you know, you don't start this way, you start this way. It's my way. You control where we go, when we go, how you breathe. I want to say this scientific fact. You can put a cup any place in the dishwasher and it will still be clean. It is your way. It is your time. But you have a different fear and you control. And then there's people, you become so verbal and you are even shocked at the things that comes out of your mouth. And then you say to people, please forgive me. I don't know where that came from. I'm going to help you out. Jesus says, whatever comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. You go like, I, my heart's not that dirty. No, it's not dirty. It's places that God's got to redeem. Places that God's got to redeem. And some of you, you take it, and 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 you take it. And then all of a sudden the family hears, because the fuse has been lit. And you go, out to work but the family hears and you tell the kids come late go straight up to your room he's gonna blow she's gonna blow it's gonna blow in the relationship you become passive-aggressive you begin to say things but you are about to blow I want you to know the human soul cannot contain taking 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 because when you blow you blow more things up than what you should blow up and there's so much shame that comes with that. Because you don't know what to do in the bubble. And then there is the family of origin. The culture that you grew up in. I don't know how Italians fight. But I bet you they don't whisper. I don't know how your family handled it. Because if they never handled it. That's not a sign that they were strong. That's a sign that they were scared to handle it. For some of you, it was shouting, violence. For others, you may have experienced healthy conflict. For others, we don't talk about it, just get over it. But you come from a family where we talk about things. Your family of origin will do two things with you. Either you will repeat the pattern because you think it's healthy, or you will do the opposite of that pattern because you say we're not going to create that and then the last thing that influenced this is what do you value most to get out of this what do you value most in it 
Because it's being right and being the winner every time. I want you to know you will have a lot of broken relationships. But scripture compels us. Jesus compels us to understand that the marking of a follower of Christ is love. Do you understand that every bubble you step in is a test for you to either hold God's grace and love as the highest value, even if we cannot agree on things? Listen to me. Expectation kills relationships. You know what expectation is? It's a strong belief that what I believe will happen in the future. Imagine, and I want to invite you to do it. It's a beautiful day. It's cold outside. Nothing to do. No football. I want you to go today. And I want you to make out an expectation list of anyone that wants to be your friend. You go like, uh, you loyal. You believe in Republicans. You believe in this and that, you value patience and kindness, you never late, you always pay your due, and you listen to what I say because I have an education, and you put down all the things that you expect that will make your autonomous island the most beautiful island in the world. And then you take that with you, make multiple copies. Every time you meet a potential new connection, you say, before I shake your hand, let me hand you my expectations so that we don't waste time. I don't want conflict, so obey it, or you're off the island. How many of you would take somebody else's expectation and say, I can't wait to be your lapdog. We're going to have a great relationship. That's why, guys, if you want to get married, first question I will always ask is, tell me about your most severe fight you had. The worst thing you can tell me is, we don't fight. We're all about love. I will refuse to marry you until you had your first fight because somebody is playing dead right now. But they will not be dead for a long time. They're going to come alive. And I would rather have them seen alive than marrying somebody who could be Dracula in a cloak waiting for your neck to relax before they just stab you and drink you dry. That's a horrible example that I just used. And it's not in my notes, I can guarantee you of that. Oh gosh, what is even happening? So I wanna give you three options. Because every relationship, if you've been coming to the Father's house now for the first time for a couple of weeks, you're in this stage called the heavenly stage. Heavenly stage. If you're dating somebody new, if you've met somebody, you're in the heavenly stage. Everything's so beautiful. They go like, how was the date? Oh, we are perfect for each other. We ordered the same salad. We love the same meat. We have the same quirks. We drive the same way. We are so alike. It's so beautiful. Oh, welcome to the fantasy. Welcome to you come to the oh I love Pastor P. Everything he says touches my heart so deep. Oh, just come and feel more services. 
I love the worship. Oh, just keep coming and you'll go like, please, are they singing that again? Every relationship starts off. And let me tell you what it is that makes it heavenly. It's the hope that people will be like me, value what I value, and they will fulfill my expectations. But if you don't know what that is, when you're disappointed, then you don't know that you're disappointed or why you're disappointed. Then we come to the next stage. Hellish. You know when you go on vacation with somebody, a family, a couple, people, and there's one that's got that infectious laugh? I love happy people. Oh man, I always go like, who can we invite if that makes me laugh? I freaking love people that makes me laugh. Oh, it's such a gift. And then you go like, oh, listen to that laughter. It's so infectious. Every time she laughs, it lights me up. Day four. <laughs> if she laughs one more time. I prayed this morning and the Lord told me it's demonic. <laughs> Telling you right now, that's a demonic laughter. <laughs> All of a sudden, what attracted you to people now repels you from people because your expectations has been violated. I want you to know in every relationship, in every church, in every place, in every work, somebody is going to violate your expectations. And if your expectations is the standard of your relationships, you're going to be growing old all alone with cats. I'm telling you right now because people get over you real quick. Nobody wants to hang around with somebody that's all thorn bush and blames the world around them. When relationships are broken again and again and again and again and again and again, some point you've got to ask yourself, what part have I in those relationships? Because Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. As a matter of fact, the more you mature in Jesus, the more you should see restored relationships in your back view mirror. The hellish stage happens this way is that all of a sudden there is discomfort, dis-ease, and you just, something happened. And I'm not going to describe that something, but then what happens is you push back. And now you become overly critical on that person. In other words, if it happens in church, you, something ticked you off what I said. Maybe it's the vampire thing. I don't know. And all of a sudden, now you listen with a different ear. Now you begin to say, he uses really crude language. I don't feel God's anointing on him. Did you see what he's wearing? Now you're looking critically for things to find. I want you to know, if you want to look for brokenness in people, you don't have to look hard. That's why Paul says, I boast of my weakness. One of the church fathers says, are you looking to see whether I'm bad? Let me be honest with you. I'm much worse than what you are looking for. And when you begin to become critical, it's because you're looking for evidence to give you justification for your moral high ground. You know what I hate? To the core of my being. When people use that phrase, God is calling me somewhere else because he showed me that this place is going to sink. 
and he wants to rescue me like Noah. And I go like, okay, what about the rest of us? Like, are you going to hand out life rafts? Like what? Do you think that maybe God would warn you to warn us? Really? That God is just going to leave us all behind? Because now he's rescued you. No, you're looking for moral high ground. And then you do one of two things. Either you leave that relationship quietly, which is terrible. Because that's silent punishment. That's silent abuse. Leaving silent without telling people why is doing nobody a favor. It is the most painful thing to have people sever a relationship. And to this day, you don't know what you did wrong. The second thing is, they find a posse. They entrap other people that does not even carry the offense. Because you are selling them false information, false evidence, overcritical. Now you throw God told you and woke you up in the middle of the night. Because if you can throw God in there, then God obviously is on your side. And those you can gather so that when you leave, you leave with a, a, a savior complex. That we just saved ourselves from them. I want you to know, whoever you want to save yourself from, Jesus remained behind because he loves them too. Or some people I don't understand. They built something for years. Then they throw a hand grenade in it to blow it up. You know what that is? It's vengeance, retribution. It is ugly the Bible says, bless those who curse you. Some things become irreparable. Don't curse it. Remember the good days and bless the good days. Listen, for some of you, you have exes and it's hard with sharing the kids. Remember the day that you stood in front of the pulpit and said yes and treat them that way. Bless them. Don't curse them. Because the Bible says God sees us through Christ. Listen, if there's not the blood of Jesus, not one of you us in this place is justified by any of our goodness if it's not through the blood of Jesus we are all gone and if you don't view people that they made in the image of God and that they are not all bad they have a story they too are hurt because you see oh I'm not going to do this that one let me skip on I believe there's a third stage that we want to talk about next week. Holding the tension of grace, truth, and love. Because you see, the way that you resolve conflict is not to hold truth back. If you hold truth back, you are not loving. Because the Bible says, speak the truth in love. The Bible says the truth, the wisdom of heaven is gentle, kind, compassionate in other words if you say to somebody well it's the damn truth and you've just got to take it yeah it may be the truth but it's damn irresponsible to say it that way because you're leaving somebody with a scar truth defends itself you can just make a statement and truth will stand up but what truth it is the truth of God. That's why next week I want to talk to you about meaningful ways that you and I can find tools 
to handle these nebulous bubbles. Hey, if you want to save your marriage, don't miss next week. If you want to save relationships, don't miss, miss next week. It's not a to Tony Robbins talk because I want you to know everything comes down to one thing, understanding how much you have been forgiven. Understanding how much you have been forgiven. Because you see, kindness and grace and love is not part of our culture. It's not. I believe if our world doesn't find a higher value for unity than what we have for being right, our nation is going to divide like we have never seen it. Households will divide because of thinking they are right and they want to save the nation. I have seen church relationships that has been here for 14 years severed because people didn't want to vote the same way you want to vote. People walking out and say the most terrible things. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not America. I'm going to say it again. My kingdom is not the United States of America. It's not Israel. It's not South Africa. It's not. It is my kingdom coming to the world. That's why the Lord's Prayer says, May your kingdom come. And church, I want you to know it is hard. It is hard. It is hard. It is hard because we have pain from the past. We have things from the past. When my wife and I were in counseling for three years on our marriage, and I'm shameless about it, the biggest thing that I discovered in me is that there was something that happened when I was seven years old watching my mom and dad having a Sunday night conflict. My dad is the sweetest man that believes prayer fixes everything. He doesn't want to talk about it. He's going to pray about it. My mom's feisty. She's 85 and she can ride a horse to the capital. My mom wants to talk about it. Now, you know when you're married with somebody that wants to talk about it? And my, dad, my mom wants to talk about it. And on Sunday night, that's her time where she's had enough. And I'm standing in the kitchen trying to make peace. And now, you know when a wife wants to get, be mean just to wake the husband up? I think that's what she tried to do. But she rolled her eyes at my dad and I would beg her, please stop, please stop. Because he thought taking it is most like Jesus. I want you to know, taking it is not most like Jesus. Resolving it is most like Jesus. He was just taking it. And I made myself a promise. No woman will ever roll her eyes at me. And if you've ever been on staff, when my wife don't like my plan and she does this, I can't help myself in front of all our staff. I go like, what gives you the right to roll your eyes at me and nobody else can? How many of you know that is the worst moment in any marriage because you're not going back to happy and food and intimacy? You ain't getting lucky, Joe. <laughs> and she says, everybody rolls their eyes. I go like, not at me. Because if you were not my wife, I would fire you. 
Because there's something in me that gets so violated. If you can't say it, don't say it with your eyes. Am I right? No. It's a past hurt. And only Jesus can deal with it. You carry hurt. You carry scars. You carry fears. But you carry a God that through His scars and His pain can redeem your scars and your pain so that we can redeem the world because conflict is part of living, eating, drinking, the right things, drinking, dancing, marrying, relationships. And by this shall all men know you're my disciples that you love even if it's painful that you resolve things to the best that you can even if there'll never be an agreement because you value oh I love this this is my final scripture I've preached too long but this is a good one I think it's a good one at least we think it's good one Jesus says accept one another and love one another as I have accepted and loved you for this glorifies the Father listen if you show kindness to my wife even if you a jerky human being and some of those are born I will honor you because you've honored her. If you dishonor my wife, I don't care what our relationship is. It is on. Like a prawn. It's going down. Because you've touched the most intimate part of my heart. You understand that sometimes we have to give up a part of ourselves of being right to resolve things because it gives glory to the Father. I don't know about you. But if the glory of the Father doesn't matter to you, then this was a waste of your time. You are the light. I am the light. We've got to love our children and they're wondering. Keep the light on. We've got to love people we don't understand. Keep the light on. We've got to love people that have done us wrong. Keep the light on. When we are crucified with Christ, we can put one hand to the cross. It needs people that offends us to put the other hand on the cross. So that we can die to self and be a glistening light of love to the world. Love heals. And our world needs healing. Jesus, I pray right now. This is a tough message. Because it's easier to just not talk about it. It's easier just to have in our path broken relationships nobody knows about. It's easier to write people off and vote them off the island. 
it's easier to be self-righteous. It's easier sometimes to be alone. But you didn't call us for any of that. That is the trap of the enemy. So I pray for those who are carrying hurt, pain, shame, trauma. And I pray for those of us that have caused pain, trauma, sorrow, even unknowingly. God, we're a soupy mess. But we carry your image and your love that has loved us now lives in us. Teach us to love others the same way. That is my most honest prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. I will see you next weekend.